All right, it has been far too long of uh, me doing this, but uh, this is Art House back again. Didn't tell anybody I was coming back, just doing it straight up, starting big with Owen Cyclops, the man, the myth, the Twitter legend. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I am uh, happy to be here hanging out with you. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I know we've had, uh, you know, it's just, we're all so busy. And today it was just like, hey, let's do it. So we decided to hop right in here and just get it going. So we got a good show today. I'm just going to, I got a bunch of things because I've always wanted to talk to you long form in depth about a bunch of different topics. So I just wanted to like kind of, you know, throw topics at you and kind of see your opinions because I've always really liked, you know, how you structure, uh, how you structure your thoughts and stuff. You, you have a very nice way with words. That's not not pretentious. It's just kind of like thoughts, but you can tell that you're well read and you're uh, you know you 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 have you have some learned uh, some learned history to you. So, oh, and how you doing today? Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for saying that. I'm doing great, man. I woke up early. I've just been in the studio all day packing up boxes. That's a big part of my life now. So that's been my whole day. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, uh, you know, let's just start, let's start here. You're at, you're at 29.8, almost 30 K Twitter followers for the 30 year old boomer. And you know, how, how, how does that feel? How does that feel right now? Uh, it feels good. I don't really think about it much anymore. I guess that's that maybe that sounds like kind of pretentious for people trying to get like a lot of followers online, but you know, it's funny because honestly, for me, like it feels kind of the same as like when I started my account. So every now and then people mm -hmm. will like contact me and be like, man, you know, I've been reading your your Twitter for so long and, and you know, I really got a lot out of your pictures or what you do or something. And then I'm kind of like, oh yeah, people are like on the other end of this thing. Like I almost <laughs> forget in a way. Like if anyone has a low follower account on social media, honestly, it kind of feels the same when you have like a ton. Like sometimes I'll respond to someone with like 50 followers and you know, I'm just like, it feels the same on my end, but mm -hmm. it's pretty cool, man. I'm really glad people get something out of uh, what I do in general. Well, I'm glad it hasn't warped you or made you uh, psychotic and planning for world domination or something like that. Did you, um, <laughs> you know, you started, and I guess this can tie back to more of your real life stuff, right? When you started on Twitter, I think I saw you in like 2015, 16, maybe, you know, really, you know, five or six, four or five years ago, right? Um, you were Western identity and your, your, the content was focused a lot more around kind of like Western hermeticism, alchemy, not, you know, there, there was Christian themes and whatnot, but it wasn't like hard Christian, you know, symbolism, all that stuff yet. What kind of provoked that transition from Western identity to kind of where you're at now? Yeah, it's a really good question, man. Yeah, I guess it has been a has been a long road. Um, yeah, I definitely wasn't Christian then at all. When I first got everything going, I really was Western occult boy. That was my jam and worldview. I guess when I first started, you know, putting my thoughts out online, I had just poured it over from Buddhism world. I maybe some people don't know who I am, so I'll just I'll just kind of clarify a little bit. Yeah. I used to be, I guess you could say I'm I used to be the prototypical nerdy white guy doing psychedelics really into buddhism specifically tibetan buddhism and the way i describe it is i went about as far down that road as you can go without officially being part of some buddhist group or organization 
And it fits in with the question you asked about the Western culture stuff, because I hit this wall with Tibetan Buddhism where I just realized I was never going to be Tibetan. It was never going to happen. I was thinking about, you know, am I going to learn to speak Tibetan? Am I going to try and really enmesh myself in this culture? And I kind of backed down from it for a few reasons. Uh, One being that Buddhism sort of ports over to whatever culture it goes to. So I realized it was kind of missing the point for me to try and become Tibetan to get integrated into this esoterica system. Right. Uh, this Zen guy I used to like a lot. I mean, I still like him. He's cool. Uh, I think it was Shinryu Suzuki said if a Polish person got into Zen Buddhism, they wouldn't become more Japanese. They would become more Polish. Mm. So I was thinking like, oh, I'm trying to become Tibetan to get integrated into this. You know, why am I doing this? And then also I realized, you know, for me, what I was getting out of it, Tibetan Buddhism is really complicated, obviously. But mm-hmm. what I was really getting out of it was like the occult and esoterica aspect of it. And I realized that that existed in my own culture, which I saw at the time as Western culture. And it was really just a very short jump from, oh, I'm trying to get into Tibetan occult, but I have Western occult right here. And, you know, I just moved seemingly six feet down the road into Western occult world. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a big part of my vibe back then. I really thought that when people ask me like, oh, why did I not change, but, you know, develop, I guess you could say. I really thought at the time that the solution to all these spiritual problems and physical problems I was seeing around me, which is why I first started, you know, getting online, you know, people, you know, overdosing on drugs at this, you know, heinous, spectacular rate, all these other problems, you know, sexual Mm -hmm. dysfunction in people's lives, you know, everyone has seen the situation. Mm -hmm. I really thought the answer was turning towards like the cultural roots. So I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, Western culture, we're Western culture. There's all this Western culture stuff. There's a pretty easy fix right here, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought the esoterica would be a part of it. But yeah, over time, for a variety of reasons, I kind of realized that wasn't exactly where my uh, focus, I guess you could say that wasn't exactly the role that I as a little pawn on the chessboard was meant to play. I got to this point Mm -hmm. where I was like, well, you know, what am I doing? Am I trying to get people to like read Aristotle and read Socrates. I mean, some people should be doing that, but I'm not really the one to push that stuff. And as Mm -hmm. I went deeper into the spiritual aspect of it, um, the Western occult bled right into becoming Christian. Again, that's probably an unintuitive leap for some people, but that is an archetype. And that's exactly what happened to me. Very interesting. Very interesting. And so when you, you know, when you were growing up, um, you know, I think you said you, you grew up in a city, right? You were in the Northeast somewhere. Yeah, I grew up like in a, I grew up in the suburbs, really, but all okay. suburbs are sort of existing as a fungus spreading out from the city. I don't mean that in a bad way. I like the suburbs, yeah. but that's yeah. kind of the situation. Yeah. So when you, when, you know, when you were growing up, were you, because when I was growing up, you know, it was like light Catholicism and then I got, it was, I didn't really find anything in it. So then I got bored and I dropped away. And then now it's like, you know, then I, then I turned into atheism, lazy, lazy atheism, as I call it, where I just didn't really look into stuff. I was like, hey, God isn't real. And then now it's like more, uh, you know, more Christian, more, you know, I'm looking at energy stuff, that type of thing for you. Like when, when you were a kid and whatnot, were you religiously, spiritually aware at all? Or, or were you just like, you know, just chilling basically? Actually, man, if you told me this was the way the road was going to play out, I definitely would not have believed you. I don't think anything approaching religion in any capacity was on my radar until Mm. I went to college. Mm. Uh, I'd say in my house... It's it's not like, you know, like anti-religious, like the house I grew up in. It's not like anti-religious, 
mm-hmm. where they'd be like, oh my God, we hate religious people. But if I brought up like God or something, which I wouldn't do at the time, but mm-hmm. if I did, that would have been weird. My parents never talked to me about that. I think they're kind of just like floating along. They don't really have like a spiritual consciousness, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. You know, my grandpa died like a while ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I wish I got to talk to him about religion stuff. He had dementia, so I didn't. But I was like, you know, I have no idea what he even thinks about any of this stuff. So the point yeah. is that, no, it wasn't on my radar at all. Um, that, that was one of the first things that really flipped my perspective. And I think it's probably the genesis of my whole vibe and operation in a way. But when I went to college, long story short, I got really depressed. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I thought, I have no idea why this thought entered my mind. It was so out of left field. Uh, and I thought, you know, uh, there's all these old books around. There must be some reason people have kept these books around. I should try and find the oldest books I can read and read them because I'm not getting any answers from anywhere else. And I read the Tao Te Ching, which is the book for Taoism, mm-hmm. in case people don't know. And it totally blew my mind. Um, it's really just like a mystical text. And long story short, I realized that I had been essentially lied to. I realized that I had been so conditioned to think that religion was just like dumb superstition, I guess. But I realized it was this whole field of thought that was pointing at something that other fields weren't interacting with at all. And yeah, from there on, I just tried to read all the religious texts I could from like every culture or religion. And that's, I sort of never turned back from that actually. Since mm-hmm. that since that time, I've really probably only read a very small number of books that aren't religious texts, excluding the last <laughs> few years when I finally like, you know, settled out of it. But for like years and years after that, I pretty much only read religious texts from like different wow. cultures. Yeah. Wow. Do so. I mean, you would you say you're you're well versed in maybe not maybe not have the deepest knowledge, but you have a very wide knowledge in a lot of different religions. Well, it's really hard because it, even something like you know, I was banging my head against the wall. Not, I don't mean to say this like in a derogatory way. From my own, from my own, where I was sitting, you know, I was let's say trying to crack the nut of Tibetan Buddhism and Buddhism in general for a really long time. But mm-hmm. I would never say I like. I wouldn't, if I was casually at a party or something, I wouldn't even say, you know, oh, I know a lot about Buddhism. I would never say that. Mm -hmm. I think it's more that I have sampled, I guess, the the worldview and poked into it and gotten the flavor Mm -hmm. and vibe, which sounds very surface level, but Mm -hmm. a lot of mysticism really is, I think, about the vibe and the worldview, those two things together. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I even, I wouldn't say I'm like an expert or anything like that. Definitely not. But as a Western person poking into the spiritual buffet, I guess you could say that's a phrase I got from this guy named Chogim Trumpa. He's a Tibetan Buddhist. Mm -hmm. I've definitely done that really hard. That's how I would say it. If there's the whole spiritual buffet and people like, oh, what's this? And oh, what's this? I've done that Mm -hmm. to a pretty extreme degree. Yeah. (laughs) From your, you know, from your time, you know, there's a saying, kind of in the more like the the newer age energy scene that like, you know, all religions are like talking about the same thing, just in different resolutions. Would you agree with that? Or would you kind of say, you know, and this is broad stroke because I know there's a lot of different nuances and everything, but broad stroke, would you say that's true? Or would you say, no, that's false. That's kind of, that's not the whole truth. Yeah. That's one of my favorite questions and things to think about. Um, it's a really big question. I definitely would be down to go into it. Uh, I actually give a lot of pushback to that. I don't know if, I mean, I, I probably would come out of the gate and be like, no, definitely not. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if I would pad that or not, but no, I think I would come out of the gate and say, no, definitely not. 
Yeah. Um, sometimes people try and pitch it to me in a more mystical sense of like, oh, you know, but under the surface, um, I used to really think that way. That was a big part of my sort of Western occult, pan religion, I'm doing psychedelics and Buddhism worldview. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess you could say I was kind of new age without ever identifying that, that way for a while. Yeah. But I really think that at the end of the day, they make such diversional, is that a word? They make such divergent claims about cosmology, how things are, what the purpose of life is, how we should go about things that I don't really think you can parse out one commonality. And when people generally do, it's usually something very vague, like, well, be a good person. But even what it means to be a good person is totally different depending right. on the systems and situations. I could give a few examples. There are a few that I would normally point to yeah. to say that these aren't really getting at the same thing. Well, I like I like to think like to me when when I you know, the energy that that when I say that it feels like it's more to kind of like push away having the discussion at all, you know, rather than you know going deeper into it. You know, it because like you said, it's all based on very vague things. Oh, you know, there's one source. Okay, but. What, what are the qualities of this source versus what they say this source is and this uh, religious system and this one and this one and this one. It seems very vague and just like, you know, it's more for kind of so I feel like the question, the answers is more for like social appearances, right? Not to want to offend anybody almost than to like, you know, actually have a deep discussion about it. Well, I definitely think that part of it is rooted in that for sure. I have tried to trace the genesis of it a little bit. In Western Mm -hmm. occult, it's a huge thing because of, well, I don't know if it's because of, but Alistair Crowley has this very specific essay where he kind of lays out like his framework for stacking them up over each other that I Mm -hmm. think is like very crypto influential. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, even something like that though, even someone saying, well, you know, there's like source and well, in Buddhism, though, there's something that's called the four imponderables. It's four things that you're literally not supposed to think about. And one of them is where the universe came from. So mm-hmm. if you're starting your philosophy and worldview of like, oh, what's the source? I'm going to get in contact with it. All of a sudden, you already hit a wall in Buddhism. Already. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think that even just the goals of the different systems also make it so... Mm. That, that also affects that. I mean, in Buddhism, for example, like part of why it's part of the four imponderables, in my opinion, mm. I don't know if it's explicated exactly in that text, but I think it is. Uh, I think it is there is that it doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter in Buddhism because what you're trying to do is get enlightened and escape this cycle of death and rebirth. So who cares? Why does it matter if God made the universe or if God's a woman or if there's 10 million gods? It literally doesn't matter because you're trying to escape the system anyway. So yeah. who cares? Whereas in Christianity, if you said, oh, it doesn't matter who the God is because, well, then all of a sudden you're, you're playing a totally different game. Why do you think Christianity is the most true out of all of these religions that you've poked at? <laughs> um, I'm going to prep, well, prep the big platter for you to just go yeah. off. Well, uh, it's interesting. Um, a lot of it was a process of closing other doors um like you said before you know you want to like be polite and not like step on other people's toes so like i always do try and pat it a little bit you know i know people who i know i know multiple people who you know spent their whole lives getting their phds studying buddhism and things like that Mm -hmm. like other religions too it's not like just buddhism so i it's not like i see them and i'm like good job wasting your life idiot you know it's not like that at all it's just my own like conclusions that i've drawn you know 
Um, and I do get other things, you know, that are valuable from other systems, you could say. But ultimately, at the end of the day, yeah, I did kind of get the ID card and check the box and like sign my name for being Christian. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of that was closing other doors as I found them untenable. Uh, mm -hmm. Ultimately, I mean, we it's more like stop, we'll stop like pump punching the Buddhism punching bag. But just so people know, it's interesting. Ultimately, I left there in a way partially because I started having questions about what good and evil is and where the universe came from. And I wasn't getting answers from that system. So that's part of why I like untethered my boat and like floated away. Um, so really, I mean, I would describe my process as I really reasoned myself so close to Christianity that it really shocked me. It was probably the last thing that I ever thought would happen in the entire universe. I mean, it's funny. I mentioned, you know, shopping the whole spiritual buffet. I never really seriously poked into Christianity or thought of it as like a tenable path. Whereas mm -hmm. almost like actually every single other thing in the mm -hmm. world was mm -hmm. on the table. If I was, if I found a book about, you know, Sami shamanism in Northern Europe, I'd be like, Oh, this, this might be true. Or, you know, <laughs> Sufism or, you know, um, Sikhism or, you know, yeah. Baha'i or anything, literally anything. I would pick up the book and be like, Oh, maybe this is true. I'll check this out. But I yeah. never thought that about Christianity ever, probably because of my own internal biases. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that like when I sketched out, my own conclusions and my ideas about things, it was so close in terms of, well, you know, I literally sat on the end of my bed one day and I was like, well, you know, I tried to like lay out everything. And I was like, well, I know God is real because I can do these thought experiments about morality and good and evil. You know, it's not just made up, they actually exist. So there has to be some higher consciousness or something and God mm -hmm. making the universe. I'm also like a hundred percent logic to myself into that being real. And I was thinking, so, you know, there's there's a God who made the universe. So that's 100% locked in. Um, but at the same time, God has to be like beyond human comprehension. Not has to be, but in a way, it's, it's this massive, um, complex thing that humans could never fully wrap their mind around, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's transcendent in that sense. But also, if, if God made morality then God must care about humans in some way. So God at the same time has to have like one form that is this, I created the universe. You're never going to totally understand like this aspect of myself, but then it also has to have some aspect that is interceding in human affairs. And I started stacking up the chips there and I was getting closer and closer to like, oh, there's like a Trinity in Christianity. That's literally exactly what I'm trying to explain to myself right now. So it was one side, I'm kind of like simplifying it, but it was one yeah. side of that. And the other side, um, I often describe my previous relationship to Christianity as like there was this crazy guy in my neighborhood who would give me advice or tell me things. And I'd be like, Man, that guy's crazy. Like, why would you say that? And then I'd go out and live my life and something would happen. And I'd realize, wow, this is exactly what that guy said would happen. This wow. is crazy. And then I'd go back and say, you know, what other advice do you have? You know, it's crazy old guy. And as that started happening more and more, coupled with the reasoning myself closer and closer to it, I mm -hmm. eventually was like, I have to be an idiot to think this is purely a coincidence, you know, whether right. it's, whether I could lock it in at that moment. Like I literally remember the moment sitting in my room, I thought, you know, I have to be stupid to just keep writing this off as more and more of a coincidence, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. When you were, uh, when, when would you say this transition occurred? Yeah. Where you're like, um, Oh yeah. Christianity. 
probably about 2018, maybe. I feel like, I don't remember the year exactly. It was like three or four years ago. In my mind, it feels like somewhere around then. It was before I yeah. moved out of the city. Again, not coincidentally. That uh, feels right. That feels right. Because I remember your content took a, took a very big, big shift around then to more Christian stuff. Yeah. And it was crazy, honestly, too, because, you know, online, I mean, you know, you're online, like you can do whatever really, but just in terms of my personal conception of myself, I mean, I had spent so many years going as hard as possible down these other roads that it really was crazy to ask myself, you know, I've navigated this far down this path in the forest and maybe I'm not making the right call. That was really a lot. Cause like I did, you know, I, I basically went as hard as you could on the weirdo white guy, <laughs> alternative stuff, I guess you could say spiritually yeah. path. I feel like I went as far as you could go without truly changing your lifestyle, like going to live on a commune or something like <laughs> I was going pretty hard. And it, yeah, like I said, it really was a lot to turn around and say, maybe this isn't the road I'm trying to go down. That was very interesting. And that's that changed my conception of getting spiritual advice from people and things like that forever, for sure. I'm curious when you were in the city, when you were during your, when you were in, had that phase of depression, whatnot, what were the people around you? Like, were they, <laughs> were they, you know, like just, just give some insight into kind of the environment that you were in for that. Uh, dude. Um, well, honestly, it was very interesting because it's a little bit twofold. You know, everyone has their own different, uh, facets of their self that they have interacting with different people. But really, I started to become a black sheep more and more and more. And it was so multifaceted and happened so quickly that I really had no control over it. Mm -hmm. It at that time, I mean, it's kind of cliche now to be like, whoa, 2016, like changed everything, man. Like meme wars, like, well, you know, yeah, 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 it's kind of yeah. like painfully like trite. Um, oh but yeah. And outside, what, what, but that after means what happened it, to me in 20, yeah. After what happened to me in January. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even yeah. want to hear about that anymore. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's just oh, I don't pain. know. I don't know what happened. You can tell me later. If you want yeah. To. Yeah. But, we can, we can go into that. But anyway, the point is that it is uh, that, that meme, that like comical, you know, we, we've all seen like probably videos of like boomers with like 10,000, like 2016 memes on their computer. But that, that, that meme exists yeah. for a reason. And I really do feel like the accelerated change of very subtle things about the culture and the surface level culture and our conception of these very like complex ideas. That was, that was, that actually did really happen, obviously, in case people don't know that. And I started finding myself more and more on the wrong side of this hatchet that kept coming down everywhere. And I'm the kind of person who people, you know, someone saying something, logical systems, how people think the way they do, really to a pathological extent, really fascinates me like way too much. So it's part, you know, politics, part religion, part uh, what you do and don't think is taboo part mm -hmm. conspiracy stuff part. It's, it's like I said, it's a whole, you know, like one of those dodecahedrons that has like all the different faces. So it's very hard to like pin down exactly. But yeah, I started feeling the target coming on me more and more and more with everyone from like my best friends to family members. 
And then people I work with, I was like, oh, I can just go to work. And at least I have this space where now I'm just at work. I don't have to be part of this weird world. But it's like, I feel like the culture kept asking me more and more and more to extend my hand further and further or to just take like a little bit more, like just lie a little bit more. Like just here, now it's next week, it's February, now it's March, just lie like a little bit more or take a little bit more. And it was very strange for me, man. I mean, you asked me like what the people around me were like, that's really kind of the way I would answer that question because yeah, I mean, I had, I had like a ton it. of, yeah, I mean, I had like a ton of friends and, you know, social things and things like that, but mm -hmm. more and more and more. Yeah. It, you know, you know what it was like, really? I feel like it, living in that situation was like, I kept touching this stove and burning my hand. And then I would turn to the people around me and say, wow, I just burned my hand on this stove. And they would look at me and say, that stove's not hot. So I'd say, mm. oh, 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 okay. And then I'd touch it again and burn my hand. And they'd be like, dude, the stove isn't hot. What are you talking about? And yeah. I just feel like after months of that, it honestly made me go completely insane. I mean, I was drinking way more. I was like smoking weed all the time. Um, I really started to like isolate myself. I mean, it probably yeah. sounds weird to people that didn't live through it maybe, but yeah, it was, yeah. It was nuts, man. I mean, I feel like wow. the hammer came, I feel like, well, honestly, I feel like the hammer came down on being able to cast yourself as a fringy weirdo. I feel like the hammer came down instantly. I mean, I remember, I'm not, I mean, I'm a little crazy, but I'm not like that kind of crazy. I remember when I, you could be like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of one of those guys who has like crazy ideas and I'm not exactly lock and step with all the stuff like the TV says. And people would kind of think it was cool or at least they'd be like, okay, yeah, like he's that guy. That's what but Vice News was. That's what Vice News was. It was like, yeah. hey, look at this cartel running drugs. Isn't that bad? And they're like, oh, wow, interesting content. Now they're like, Jordan Peterson, he's a Nazi. It's like, okay. Yeah, that's that's exactly that. That's a perfect characterization of it. So yeah, I just felt that target getting fixed more and more on me. And ultimately, that's why I left. Like literally, I loaded my girlfriend and everything I owned into a van, not to give her no agency, but the story sounds cooler if I, you know, just say I loaded her in a van. And I, I just like peaced out. I was like, there's nothing keeping me here, man. I'm out. And uh, it when was really- meet, When did you meet your girlfriend? Like, how did that kind of, how did that influence, you know, the whole change and whatnot? <laughs> that was interesting too, man. Um, I don't know if I, it influenced it in certain ways, but I think it was more that we were kind of along for the ride together in a way. Mm -hmm. She really caught me at the exact moment where I was kind of starting to realize, you know, something is going on here. Even now, it probably sounds, people listening to this might think I'm like secretly like not saying what I mean, but it really is so complicated that you can't exactly pin it down. Oh yeah, yeah. But we, yeah, we have to be here for six hours yeah, to get yeah. to the presuppositions that you were thinking that day. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But she called me right at the time that I was starting to figure it out. And I think that made it a lot easier because mm -hmm. instead of trying to reason her into a conclusion that I had already made, mm -hmm. I really was just, you know, week by week being like, yo, I just saw this. Isn't this crazy? Like, look at this thing. Or like, wow, did you know this happened? Or like this thing? And I feel like that made it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, because yeah, like you I said- weren't, You weren't forcing her and trying to control her into this worldview that was insane that you had already. You were like kind of both inching, you know, together. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's how you could put it, yeah. Interesting. And then, so when you- when you were like, I'm done with this city, I'm getting out here, you know, like, do you still have contact with any of the people 
in the city? <laughs> um, no. Honestly, no. I don't talk to anyone from that part of my life. And it was very – well, I mean, it's, we could we could talk about it. It was actually yeah. – uh, it was very I, – I do like talking about it because – you know, I was I was thinking about this the other day when I was walking my dog, actually, because I do think about like the online sphere and everything. Obviously, I'm, uh, it's a big part of my life. Um, but I feel like for some reason, maybe it's because putting forth strong views requires you to present yourself as confident. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure that people doing it are confident. And then also the the masculinity aspect of it, which I mean, I'm 100 percent down. I think that those two things together, though, make it so there is this darker side to it that I don't normally see brought up a lot, but Mm. I think it is. And so that's why I like to talk about it. But I think people really underestimate how painful it really is to go day by day and be out of step with the people around you. I think that that is such a crazy experience that really does so much spiritual damage to you. Not that it's impossible. But I think that people really underestimate it. And yeah, man, it was insane, dude. Like I had, I had friends, like I, there was a guy who I'll sort of change the story a little bit. I don't want to like yeah. talk about him when he's like not around, but there was a guy, I mean, I would have thought of him as like one of my best friends ever. Like I would have asked him to be like best man at my wedding, like all sure. that stuff. And we were at some party and someone asked me about like something so innocuous. Like we had had conversations about all these like third rail topics, like crazy stuff. Just like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And mm-hmm. we were at a party and someone asked me about like NASA stuff and space and like flat earth stuff and all this stuff. And they were like, you know, what do you think about it? And I gave them this really honest answer where I was like, you know, yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I don't really know what to think about, you know, this thing or this thing. I don't really think this X, Y, Z is true, but I think that, you know, A, B and C is really interesting. You know, and I gave them this really honest answer. And then later he hit me up and he was like, basically like, yo, I'm ending our friendship. Like I can't be friends with you anymore. And I never talked to him again after that ever again. Uh, That's and, just... and things like that happen to me all the time. And it's so interesting because, you know, I'm not really like a, like a playing the victim guy, like put on my like emo haircut, mm-hmm. but things like that would happen. And I'd be like, you know, what am I supposed to do? Like apologize for being like, yeah, I watched some flat earth videos and thought they were cool, but I don't think the earth is flat. And like, what if I did like, so what dude, like who cares? You know what I mean? It's so far into my, to my <laughs> being, you know, if I, if I had a friend who came over and they were like, yo, I'm kind of getting into communism. I think it's pretty cool. And I also think the earth is flat. I would be like, okay, like, well, tell me about it, dude. Like, that's interesting. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be like, be gone from my life forever. You know, but you uh, must have the same opinions as me. Yeah, yeah but like, things like that happen. And it really changed my view of a lot of stuff because, I mean, obviously that changes your view of stuff, but I sort of tweeted about it the other day, which makes it seem like I'm obsessed with it, but I really don't think about it much anymore. Mm-hmm. But it really made me think a lot about the conditioning and people's worldviews and everything because during that whole time, like no one ever asked me, you know, hey, like, you know, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about this? It's all this weird vibe of like, you have transgressed, like you are a transgressor and the alarm has been sounded and you've been disfellowed. You you're you've been disfellowed yeah. from the church. You can't. I can't it, even look you in the eye anymore. You know. It, it, it's it's really strange. And, it, it, and the worst part about it is, like you said, it's about this the most innocuous stuff. Like, oh yeah, I don't think all the NASA pictures are real. It's like and friendship ended. Like that just like what even is that? What even is that? Yeah, and then you're like, so do I have to walk around like wondering like whose friendship is conditional on me thinking that NASA like never lies about stuff? Like, what if I thought the Earth was like hollow and there were like lizards inside? Like, I can't hit you up if my car breaks down. Like, is that the conditions under which I'm operating in this like 
social sphere. You yeah, know? <laughs> to me, it really feels like it comes back. It, it feels like just an extended high school mindset where there's this pool of things that's cool, right? And you spend your time talking about and, you know, you know, keep re-upping that same topic. Oh yeah, this is so cool. This is so cool. And if you offer counter to that, that pops the bubble and then now nobody likes you and then now you're out, right? It's, it, but now it's on like every topic and it's ultra strict and you're an adult now. So the cutting out of the friendships and stuff is way harder. And yeah, well, insane. well, you know, I really have thought a lot about what the mechanism is and, and what the deal is basically. Um, I'm really interested in like what I would call like the zeitgeist and the social sphere and all that stuff. Yeah. And what I realized after banging my head against the wall for a long time, I realized that a lot of people's worldviews are propped up by what I would call, I don't know if this is technically a logical fallacy, but it should be. There probably is some formal logical fallacy that it, that it is, mm -hmm. but they're propped up by something that I've come to call an appeal to pathology. Hmm. What I mean by that is that they, you're going, so you're walking around the world, right? And people think differently than you. So a lot of the popular worldview stuff you have to explain that you have to explain how these people think differently from you. And the most popular explanation is a pathology, a pathology in case people don't know is like something that's, that's wrong, something that's wrong with you. Like, like you're sick or ill or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's how it was for me growing up. Like there are all these people who, who don't want abortion to be legal. But if you went back in time and asked 14 or 16 year old me, why do those people not want abortion to be legal? My answer would be, well, they're crazy, dude. It's because they're crazy. I yeah, would have no way. With them. Yeah, I would have no way of cohesively explaining their position, whether it's right or wrong, you know, whatever. I wouldn't have any idea about it. So mm -hmm. most people's worldviews, everything that they encounter where someone thinks differently than them, I guess most popular, like pop, I don't want to say pop culture, but like, you know, surface level people. I'm not trying to be mean, you know, Yeah. but that's what they have. So what I realized is that I could get pretty deep into explaining why I think something if someone wanted to know, you know, I would go on work trips with someone. I'd be gone with someone for like four or five days. And if they asked me and they weren't interested, I might talk about some stuff and people find it interesting, you know, anything from the innocuous to like crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And in the moment I'd be sitting there and we're sitting at a table and I'd be like, yeah, so that's, that's why I think that. And there's all that, you know, and they'd be sitting there looking at me and they'd be like, yeah, totally. That makes sense actually. Yeah. But what I realize is that when they go away, they don't actually remember each little thing you said. And because they're getting all of that input, 99% of the other time saying, Hey, you know, people who think that are crazy, people who think that are crazy, it just resets. And they don't remember that you were making sense. And if they remember that you made sense, they think it was like a trick or something. They think like, Oh, you know, Owen said all that stuff. And it kind of made sense, but obviously he's just X, Y, and Z, you know, and that's why he thinks that way. So I feel like those pillars, like a thought terminating cliche, basically. Yeah, exactly. They have to root it back to, because I really realized this with my parents, because with my parents, I could go like as hard as I want on them, honestly, because not that I'm like, you know, being annoying, but if they ask me, you know, and with my mom, for example, so my mom's still in that view about abortion. And I showed her all this data because like I said, I'm like Jane Goodall fascinated by like what happens if I just show someone, someone that's outside their worldview. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting there and I showed her all this data. Like, like yeah. it's like, just again, I don't care. If, I don't care if you think abortion is good or bad, whatever, but I'm showing you this data that says same number of men and same number of women think it should be illegal. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not a gendered thing. It's not about hating women, you know, and show her all this stuff. And then I'd be like, so can you just say that people can be against abortion because they think it's a fetus. They think it's live. You don't, that's fine. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe they're right. Whatever. Maybe they're wrong. But can you just say it's not about hating women? And she couldn't do it. 
She literally couldn't do it. She was like, no, they just hate women. And like, maybe that's just my own mom's case, but I feel mm -hmm. like in general, people really have that. You could show them all these reasons and be like, even if these are wrong, can you just admit that this person doesn't think this because they're crazy and stupid and they can't do it? Because then well, the whole I, house of cards would come falling it, down. I, I bet in your mom's case, you know, and th this isn't really about that specific issue. This is more like of, you know, boomers and the older generations in general. If you're psyoped for 20, <laughs> 30, 40, 50, 60 years about the same stuff, Imagine trying to get through all the mental gunk. You know, you've been living that since you were 20, right? That same idea. And yeah. you're alive and you're fine. Like, it, you never had to change it or worry about defending it. So by the time, you know, your son's like, hey, dad, like, I don't really agree about that. It's just like, nope, just not even, won't, won't even compute. Won't even compute. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting too, because I, I have no idea what it's like for people that grew up in other states that aren't like hardcore liberal meccas or what, what that environment's like. I literally can't imagine. But mm -hmm. for me, California it's, here. It's, so okay, no. cool. Like, yeah, for me, where I grew up, it's totally a closed bubble. Like I remember just one more like little anecdote that kind of shows what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like I remember driving along, I was in my teens and I was driving along and there was somewhere on the side of the road in this random place with a big sign that just said like abortion is murder. And they had a picture of a fetus. And I remember seeing that and dude, it literally would have been less shocking for me to see like 12 mothmen with red eyes and horns and a glowing spaceship on the side of the road. I mean, seeing that, I, I literally couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't believe that that person is a real human being. It totally like blew my mind because like I said, in my mind, sane people think this everyone here is not crazy. So, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it, it was, it was more shocking than seeing like literally a green alien show up at my front door. Right. Right. Well, and we can kind of tell that into a point I want to hit on is that, you know, you moved from city and suburbs and whatnot to rural, right? We'll keep the location, you know, whatever, yeah. but yeah. you know, you're, you're in a rural place now and you got space between your homes and you're in nature all the time. And you know, you you got, you know, all, all the, all the stuff that comes with the rural lifestyle. So like to, for you, you know, how has the culture shock been, um, you know, in your life and how are you adjusting basically? Yeah. Uh, it's been really awesome. I mean, to clarify, I guess I would say there's a technical term for it, but you, whatever suburbs are to the urban environment, I'm like in this, I'm in like a suburby vibe of the rural environment. So like, mm -hmm. It's kind of cool, actually. Like there are houses around, but at the same time, if I go for a walk, like I'll see like a field full of cows. Um, yeah. So it's pretty awesome. But uh, you asked me specifically about the culture shock. Yeah. Well, it had, honestly, it hasn't really been a shock. It's more been like a relief because uh -huh. I really left the previous place where I lived because I couldn't keep living like that every mm -hmm. day, just getting so inundated with the maximum level of all this crazy stuff that I was like prohibited from saying anything about, um, even at my job, you know, everywhere, 24 seven all the time. Yeah. So that's why I left and here. It's been awesome, dude. It's been so refreshing. Um, because I'm just out of that. Like, I mean, I'm sure there, there's problems here, you know, obviously, but in terms of that one thing that had become unfortunately like so defining for me, the pressure just like totally released and it's been uh, so refreshing. I mean, my neighbor one day was telling me about like, these, you know, uh, it was way back. It was way back when I first moved here, but he was showing me like some own the libs, like YouTube videos for like boomers on my front porch. 
And I was just like, yeah, dude, I'll watch these with you. <laughs> awesome. I'm so down. That's the first time somebody's ever offered that to you, probably. Like in person, just randomly. Right? Yeah, well, it's also more just like the pressure of of having to pretend that I am part of this, you know, cohesive worldview that I'm really not part of. It's more that than having people like agree with me. I mean, I don't care if I go to the supermarket and people there share my, you know, particular views about these random topics or like specific, you know, cosmological topics, but it's more like the pressure is off to mm. pretend all the time. And that really lifted such a huge yeah. weight off my shoulders, dude. It's, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's, that's why I've always enjoyed, you know, this, you know, being online because I could just talk about whatever I want. And then the people who want to, uh, who want to hear me will come hear me and the people who don't will either block me or send me hate mail or just ignore me completely. So it's really, uh, it's, you know, it's great for, it's great for tribe finding and whatnot. You know, when you're, um, you know, do you, in terms of, okay. So like say 10 is like hard rationalist and one is like hard spiritualist. How, how are you in terms of vibes and just like your base state, you know? Um, it's a good question, man. Well, uh, the thing for me is that a lot of times when people talk about religion in general or mm -hmm. changing religions or signing up for something or things like that, they often talk about it. And even some like really legit theologians talk this way. So I'm, I'm not putting mm -hmm. it down like, yeah, well, at the end of the day, you know, you got to put down the, you know, spear of rationalism and just walk into the forest of faith. And that's just how it is in this mortal coil, you know? Mm -hmm. And for some people, I guess it is like that. But honestly, for me, it's it's really not like that um, because I've become so firm on the logic of yeah. obviously God made the universe and all that stuff. So I really wouldn't put that dichotomy there in the way that you said it necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like when I walk outside, yeah. I mean, I would never say like I'm a mystic because that's kind of like saying you're a philosopher. It makes you like put yourself on this like cringe pedestal of like, get ready, <laughs> yeah. get ready for me to say some deep stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, I definitely am more mystically inclined in some ways. So like when I leave my house and I look at a bush, I mean, it's not like LARPing for me. I really look at the bush and I'm like, wow, I can't believe God made this bush. Like that's so crazy. Mm. And like, I really do walk around like that all the time, honestly. Because what, like, what I wanted to segue into with this is like, now that you're in the country and you have so much more nature and you don't have that mental stress of trying to conform your mind or hide yourself from the outside world, like has that part of you kind of flourished now? Is it getting, is it getting stronger? I would say. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, there's a lot of factors there. I mm -hmm. think that, one thing that I will go into later in my studies, but I have thought about it a lot, obviously, mm -hmm. is there is a non-coincidental sync up between living in an urban environment and the worldviews we see coming from an urban environment. I lived in like the most hyper urban environment that I can personally imagine within America. I'm sure in other places, you know, it gets more intense. Mm -hmm. But living in New York City, you really are in 100% artifice. Everything is artificial 100%. Mm -hmm. And I think that really does affect your spirit in a very particular way. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's a non-coincidental sync up between, oh, why are all the rural areas, you know, thinking this way, you know? So that plays into it for sure. Because yeah, when I leave my house, I see a field of cows and there's like a sunset and the sun is shining on these cows in this verdant field. So of course, naturally that's going to 
affect me more than if I have to catch like the G train at like 2 a.m. and someone's like doing coke, you know, on the G train across. Like it's going to be different, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm still settling into it. I used this metaphor on Twitter one time, but my cousin had some chickens and he got one from a factory farm. And mm-hmm. when he brought it to the normal farm, it wanted to be in boxes. Like he let it free and then it would find a box and like climb in the box because that's what it was used to. And it took it a while to become like the other chickens and become normal. Yeah. So I think that that metaphor really applies to me because, you know, even here in my house, you know, I'll drop something, it'll hit the floor and I'll think like, oh, the downstairs neighbors. And then I'm like, I'm not in an apartment. I'm in a house that doesn't exist anymore. Um, so it relates to what you're saying <laughs> wow. because sometimes, sometimes my mindset is still in the way that I used to live, but I'm adjusting mm-hmm. and yeah, it's affected my spiritual views for sure, man, for sure. That's wild. That's why yeah. you're still, it's just, it's a, it's, it's almost like a trauma built up, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, especially with an apartment, you know, I, I don't live in an apartment, but I go to apartments frequently and whatnot. And then th- there's just so many different things that, that you have to keep aware of when you're in that, in that worldview, you know, of, of being in a box and in one massive building that people above you, people below you, you know, you don't have your own, you don't have your own space basically. And then you move out of that. I can see how that can be like, you know, kind of hard to adjust to overall yeah and the rhythms of life you know things the rhythm is totally different i mean i mentioned this on the painting show that i did the other day but someone i was meeting someone to sign some papers in a parking lot (laughs) this was literally legal papers and they called me and they were like yeah i'm gonna be late uh i'm behind this truck that's carrying like a ton of hay and it's going really slow and that just perfectly captures the difference you know if i'm in line at the supermarket here and someone's taking a long time no mm-hmm. one in line is stressed about it. No one cares. It's totally different. Yeah. Uh, whereas then when I go back to New York, sometimes I can feel myself take on this other mode of being. So you yeah. would think it would be like, you know, I maybe I can kind of feel like in your question, like you would think it would be like, oh, like the trees and the nature and stuff. But it's a whole cohesive picture of mm. living in a different way that you wouldn't really expect. But maybe maybe some people would, but I didn't really. Do you foresee yourself staying in this type of environment for a while? Yeah. I mean, I hope I never live in a city again. There is a flip side that there is a little bit of a flip where, you know, you can move way out in the country. Right. But there is a little bit of like LARPing meeting reality, not for everyone, but just for me. Cause like, you know, I moved first, like way out. And then I was like, yeah, I'm surrounded by farms, you know? And then you're like, "Ugh, these are like soy farms and they use a lot of pesticides. And now if I want to get actually ironically healthy organic food, I have to drive into the city to go to Whole Foods. So now I moved out in the country, but I'm just going to Whole Foods in the city to get the food that I thought I'd be getting here, you know? (laughs) So there's a little bit of a flip. I think maybe my like, maybe all my joking about the suburbs is like not actually joking. And I am meant to live like on the suburbs on the edge of a rural environment or something. But yeah, I hope I never live in a city again. I'm not, you know, a hundred percent like, again, like LARPing as like all the cities, we got to get rid of them. Like, you know, for some people, you know, maybe you work, I don't know, playing the clarinet and like an orchestra, you're not going to live in the middle of nowhere, you know? Uh, yeah. But for me personally, yeah, I hope that I stay out of cities. I, I, did, my, I did my time, basically. <laughs> I love how that's the example you go to playing a clarinet in the orchestra. I think of something that you could only do in a city, really. Yeah, yeah. honestly, honestly. Yeah, I've, I've never lived in a city and oh, I, don't nice. plan on, I don't plan on because every time, you know, the closest city to me is Los Angeles. And if you've ever, have you been to Los Angeles before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It and I, I've been in New York a couple times for for film shoots and whatnot, and it is a wildly different feeling because you know New York, it's you know it's it's obviously it's huge, but it's it's almost tight. Like you have the subway everywhere, and everything's yeah. it's walkable and whatnot. And if you stay in an area, like you really don't need a car. But with LA, you need a car because they built the city horribly. It's so spread out, and you know, so it's just this traffic monster. Basically, everything is based around the car, and thus everybody everybody's mindset is tinged with road road rage constantly. <laughs> That's really interesting. It's just it's the strangest. It's the strangest experience too, and. A lot of people think that LA, like this, the downtown is, you know, they think, oh, LA, Southern California, close to the ocean. Downtown is like 20 miles away from the ocean. So you're just in the, like, I, I went up to the, the highest building in, uh, in LA, very top floor. And I looked around and wow. it was just flat, like bad, you know, bad looking buildings and then smog everywhere. I couldn't even see the ocean. It was completely blotted out. And I was oh, like, yep, never moving here. Never yeah, here actually, again. it's it's really interesting, man, because if I spent more time in L.A., I would develop this more. But I have spent a lot of time thinking about how L.A. and New York are like polar opposites in terms of cities. You yeah. know, like I think of L.A. as like the laterally expanding city and New York is like the vertically expanding city. L.A. Mm -hmm. is kind of more like a fungus. New York is more like a termite mound. <laughs> um, and then it goes even deeper. Like I've actually I wanted to do a comic about this because like in L.A., the water's clean, but the air is dirty. And then in New York, the air is clean, but the water's dirty. Like everything about them is totally flipped. It's strange, and, right? Yeah. Really and then, like you said, the first time I went to LA, I called my friend and I was like, let's, let's meet up. Let's hang out. And he was like, yeah, I think I'm like two and a half hours away from you. And I said, no, I'm in LA. I'm in LA. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're like two hours away from me. <laughs> so we're in, yeah. in New York. That was just like unthinkable. It, it It's just, it's just wild. It's just wild. You know, I, I love how, you know, I was in Austin recently. I was in Dallas recently. Um, I was in uh, Seattle. Every city has its own energy, which yeah, is really yeah. it's it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Seattle is actually cool um, because it has a lot of the old architecture still, and there's like the cobblestone areas and the kept uh, you know the the market and stuff. It's mm -hmm. all old school and normal. But you know, you, you go into these different cities, and you know, some some I, some I feel I'd be more inclined to live in, but still, just the the amount of people, I think that's the biggest factor. It's just yeah. way too many people in a too tiny area. You talked about overdensity every once in a while. Yeah, it's and another how uh, they they you know they they'll say you know the, the the big meme right now is like overpopulation, but you you always say the you I, I think you've said this before. Like it's not overpopulation, it's overdensity. I think that's that's a perfect summation of it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if I said that or someone else, but I would say that. So maybe I'll just take credit for it. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a hidden aspect of art history and art where, I mean, it's obvious to us now because everyone's very like aesthetically and design minded. But mm -hmm. the layout of the city obviously really affects the mindset and world of the people that live in it. Mm -hmm. um, one of my, one, one city that I had a very transformative experience in People are always surprised because I think they think of it as like a dirty, crappy city, maybe, or at least the people where I was did. But when I went to Philadelphia for the first time, mm -hmm. I really thought, wow, the way this city is laid out and the roads and the way you can see, you know, the museum down this avenue and everything. I really thought that like, you know, building cities in this way, I guess you could say it's a more European style city. I mean, I don't know technically if it is, but compared with New York or something that's literally set into a giant grid, maybe it is. I've been uh, there once. It was it was. I, I, I liked walking around it. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe I only went to the nice parts. Maybe someone from Philadelphia is going to say, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> but in New York, for sure, I can say, I wonder how it is in LA if you're there for a long time and then you leave. Because in New York, I can say, if you're there for a long time and you take the train out of a city, out of the city, there's a tangible feeling of something lifting from you. And whenever I left the city after being there for like maybe six months or so without leaving or longer, there's this feeling of like, oh yeah, like real life. There's real life outside the city. This is crazy. It's almost like an MMORPG. You, you put, yeah. put your Oculus Rift on and you forget that you're actually, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I would say LA is chaotic. That's the energy you're feeling the whole time. The whole time you're there, it's just, it's, it's chaos. It's like impending chaos basically. And then you get out and you're like, Oh yeah, there's not so many people and I can drive at, you know, 80 miles an hour and this is okay. This is okay. Yeah. And then, you know, that it, 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 it would just be really interesting. You know, it'd, it'd be almost funny to do like a pseudoscientific study on city dwellers and rural people and just, just a whole bunch of metrics and whatnot. It'd be interesting. Yeah. I'm really not a car guy, so I couldn't do the California thing. I read this book called Crash by J.G. Ballard. I don't know if you know that book, but mm-hmm. I read it I read it right when I was about the age where I was learning to drive and it really, really turned me off of the whole situation. In case people don't know, just it's sort of just funny, a little 30 seconds. Yeah. But the book is about these two guys who kind of get obsessed with car crashes. And the whole book is about <laughs> like how car crashes are actually this like hypersexual thing and the main character's best friend in the book is like planning a car crash where he's going to crash into like elizabeth taylor and they're both going to die together and it's it's all about car crashes basically and it really made me see the car in a different way i really never recovered from it actually (laughs) okay well there we go there we go we'll not talk about cars anymore (laughs) to not evoke painful memories of sexual car crashes yeah when all right so now that you're in a, you know, you're in the country, you're doing your art and whatnot. It's funny. We didn't even talk about your art so far. So I want to hit on that before we, uh, before we head off. But, um, you know, one, and this is a short note before we transition to that. You got a dog now, right? Yes. You got a pupper. You got a pupper. And this is, um, I'm, this is, for, this is a, this is a sub trolling for, for those who know, right? So our dog's good, Owen. I'm a big dog advocate. I might even be number one dog advocate. I'm sure there's someone with more dogs, but yeah, I really, uh, I'm a big fan. It's really changed my life a lot, actually. Interesting. Interesting. Have you been around, you know, cats and all that stuff, cats and dogs? Did you have equal experience with both, would you say? No, I have way more experience with dogs. I used to be anti-cat. Then I met a few cats I liked. So now I'm neutral on the cats. It's not for me, but I'm, I'm neutral. Yeah. Uh, but I'm definitely a dog person. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a pro cat man personally. Oh, nice pro cat. But, um, when you, you know, did you get your dog when like before you moved out or did, was he in the city with you? Like how, how that, how that worked out? No, I got her out here. Um, I just, I just rescued her basically from this spot. Uh, my wife was really pushing for it. And one day I caved basically. (laughs) Um, that's how it's going to be for me. I feel it's, it's been pretty awesome. There is something that is surprisingly, I think of thing. I think of most things in terms of you know gaining like spiritual knowledge and knowledge of the self, mm-hmm. and there definitely is something about training and working with this other consciousness that has made me think a lot about the mind and the spirit. And the dog has this mind and spirit, and how we intermesh. And it's been surprisingly illuminating in that sense. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Now you know. Uh, do you know what breed is the dog, or is it a rescue? Like, is it just? 
She's you know. a type of cattle dog. Oh, oh, gorgeous. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Actually, it's funny also because I didn't know. I didn't really know about cattle dogs or what they were, but yeah. that's interesting too because, you know, I don't just LARP on Twitter about being obsessed with like symbolism and symbology. It really is like how I experience the world. Uh-huh. So I think even just the, the idea of the cattle dog fits in a certain interesting node there because on the one hand, she has like authority over other animals. You know, if we walk by cows, they'll, you know, pay attention to her or run away or, you know, she has authority inherently over these other animals. But then also being a dog, she's inherently under the authority of these other animals being us. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. She like naturally fits into this hierarchy and that's how she experiences the world. Did you, when you went into the shelter, did you like, were you gravitated towards her? Like what, how did that, how did that specifically happen? Were you, was it just like a <laughs> spiritual experience getting her? Actually, my wife read this story about the dog and how she got abandoned and she was living in this like laundry room and I was like, all right, all right. And I saw a picture of her and I thought, you know, well, she could come live here. I, it kind of softened my uh, softened my <laughs> resolve against the dog. But no, we, we met in a parking lot, honestly. And they just got out of the car with this dog. And when I saw her, I was like, that's definitely my dog. I'm definitely going to get it. Um, <laughs> she's pretty, she pretty like hesitant or non-committal with us for a while. But then she warmed up to us and uh, now we're super tight. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. great. That's great. All right. So I want to close by talking about, you know, the thing that everybody knows you for. That's the art, right? The yes. art of Owen Cyclops. So, I mean, you, you've, you, you started, you know, mostly doing like paintings or e-paintings and whatnot. Now you're doing comics and you're doing shirts and you're doing blop and you're doing everything now. So, you know, What's your mindset when it goes to approaching do you approach each medium the same or do you, you know, do you have a, like, you just like, all right, this is a painting. I'm just going to paste it on the shirt. Or do you kind of think about what is this shirt? You know, people are wearing this, blah, blah, blah. How, how, how's your mind work when it comes to that? Yeah, it's a really good question, man. Um, well, specifically not to go like into my whole life story. We, we can actually theoretically, but I started doing traditional medium things i did classical oil painting and charcoal drawing and that kind of thing and i I didn't poke into digital world until you know a few years ago relatively not that Mm -hmm. long ago uh so that definitely colors my experience of it a lot you can imagine being you know a painter painter working on Mm -hmm. paper with all that and then coming over to digital world i resisted it for about as long as i could until Finally, I hit the wall where I said, I have to do something about this. You know, I can't pretend it's it's 1971 and computers aren't really a thing in the art world, you know, mm-hmm. or that or that it wouldn't enhance me uh, working with this stuff. Actually, it's relevant to your question, because what really made me hit the wall was I was doing these really intense, detailed paintings that were really small. And then when I would scan them, if you're really, really into visual art, you get in this mode where. You know, I've painted with brushes that have probably like five to 10 hairs on them that are really crazy small, you know, and you get up really close and you're really in a totally different visual mode. So then I would put those paintings on the computer and all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, can you see all the details? I guess you can, but now it's pixels and the colors look different. Do I care if the colors look different? It's light on a screen mm-hmm. instead of, you know, so ultimately I thought, you know, if I'm, if people are going to be seeing it on the computer, I have to work on the computer at least for now, at least to get used to that world. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do I approach things? No, the medium is an intrinsic part of uh, what's being communicated. So they're all different in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an underlying 
substructure that unites them, which is like the visual information and things that exist regardless of medium. Like I was going to say color, but even the color is conditional on the medium, but there are things right. that unite them, but no, I approach them all differently. That's why it's funny. Sometimes people, some, you know, I feel like people, you know, I get all kinds of DMS like loved ones and hate ones, I guess you could say, but sometimes people will send me like a digital comic or something I made. And basically they're angry. They're like, why, why isn't this an oil painting? And I'm like, well, cause it's not, it's not an oil painting. Like, what are, you, what are you even asking me? You know, like this one guy was DMing me and I said, you know, do you open the, the, the newspaper and see Garfield comics and ask why it doesn't look like, an oil <laughs> painting? like, not that I'm doing that, but you know, there's like a awareness of the medium. So yeah, I'm really into exploring different mediums and, uh, they all have something different to say. They're all, they're like different instruments. Really. I always default to the music metaphors, but that's the best analogy. They're like different are, instruments. Are you going to try to get your, your comics onto a local, uh, local newspaper, local, <laughs> a, a local alternative newspaper? Someone that, suggested that I should, I should do that, but I reach more people online. Maybe one day, maybe one that'd day. Be, that, that'd just be hilarious. It's just imagine some old guy reading it like, what? <laughs> yeah, scrolling. I was gonna say scrolling, but flipping I, through. Yeah, I, you know, it was it was really funny. This is before I messaged you today. I got downstairs. I was gonna go to like make my protein shake in the morning, and that you drew something like six months ago. You drew like a little simple character and it had a little penis on it, like a little tiny <laughs> dick. And I remember you you tweeted like your wife was like, I don't like these weird people with penises on it. And I got like I was. I was getting my protein shake and that image and that tweet just popped in my head today. <laughs> it so was cool. hilarious. Nice. Do you, and that, and that uh, I bring that to a larger question, right? Your art style is very, very, very specific. Everybody who can see you knows exactly what's an Owen drawing, right? Did you, you know, I, I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to ask a normie question. Like what were your influences and whatnot? But like, what, what was the process for going, okay, this is where I'm starting and then I'm going to simplify it. And now all your characters look, you know, you have a consistent art style. Like how did that art style bloom? Yeah, it's a really good question, man. Um, well, it's interesting. Someone asked me recently, they were thinking about going to art school and they asked me, you know, I kind of want to be an illustrator. I don't really have a style. You know, how do I get that? And I was talking to them about it for a while and it reminded me of really early in my art journey, I was asking other people that question, you know, I don't really have a style, like, how do I get one? And it really emerges naturally over time. I don't know how it is for other people, but I really don't think you can sit down and say, okay, um, this guy draws eyes like this. This guy draws eyes like this. How am I going to draw my eyes? This guy draws hands like this. You know, how am I going to draw my hands? I think it has to emerge cohesively and organically. At least that's how mm -hmm. it happened for me. Um, I Just never really- drawing a lot basically. And then eventually being like, okay, this is how I like to draw my hands. Well, I never really imagined that I would end up at this spot, although it does make a lot of sense in retrospect. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds a little pretentious talking about my own art, of course, but I'm mm -hmm. not going to start every sentence with that, but just that this little caveat going forward. But there is, I think, given how, given what the surface quality and style generally is like, I really have put a lot of thought over the years in terms of how pictures work how information is communicated visually. I really identify as an illustrator. So I don't even call myself a painter anymore. And I like the term illustrator because what an illustrator actually does is they convey information in pictures. Mm. So that's, that's a little bit different than I guess how you would describe a fine art painter necessarily mm. they do that too there's overlap obviously yeah. but uh i think one of your paintings is in this room no it's in the other room i have your uh what was that it's the one with the it's like the 
it's like a pretty tall it's like a small but tall painting it's a woman's face and then there's like the zodiac symbols in each corner or something yeah that's i know exactly what you're America. talking about i know exactly yeah. what you're talking about yeah yeah that's like a classic one nice that's yeah that's, that's original that's yes yeah. so there is like so looking at that i don't know if you're looking at it or not but here hold up let me, let me grab it i know where it is one sec cool Hello, audience. How are you? We've been left together on the show. How's it going for you? I'm having a good time here at my desk. It's moving along smoothly. No dead air. I mean, except for this part right now where I'm talking to you. What's the weather like where you are? It's gray here. Got some green grass outside. Could have picked a better monologue for my little... All right, uh, I will cut this out. <laughs> running out of the freaking... But just so everybody can see, right? This one right here nice oh it's framed too cool yeah so that that's a good example actually because that's when i was i guess you i guess i'm always still developing my style but there is something that, that's actually a perfect example of what i'm trying to say because i think that where i ended right up right here like you got the christian symbols you got the hand eyes with all the little beads on it you got the flags with the different you know astrology symbols on there kind of vaporwave ish Right, it's a lot of different visual information. Yeah, a little vaporwave. Yeah, I mean the palm trees. I'm all about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I guess what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to trying to a little bit dancing around. I think people generally think it's like, oh, you know, let's say I looked at the drawings from this artist and I'm like, I like that style. I'm going to do it like that. It's more behind the scenes, like tweaking the engine of mm -hmm. what am I trying to communicate and how am I trying to communicate it. Your mm -hmm. example of this morning is actually an oddly perfect example because. Part of the simplicity and paring things down has been my goal of reaching sort of deep into someone's mind and touching that little part of how the mind imagines things. Mm. Because people people think visually. People almost live sometimes in terms of pictures and images and things like that. So yeah, well, I was doing video video production, right? Yeah. You can really basically just transfer what they want to see in their imagination right onto a like a camera lens, basically. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I always remember this story of um, these Islamic painters where they were painting a horse. And long story short, it's a long story, but eventually the guy says, you know, I'm not trying to paint a horse how you see a horse when you go outside your house. I'm trying to paint a horse the way God sees a horse or, mm -hmm. you know, in a platonic sense of like what the idea of a horse is, you know? Right. And I think that that's been a big driving force because I really gravitated away from realistic things. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of still life painting and I can paint, you know, a boat sitting in the ocean and a rabbit in the grass and stuff. But I really gravitated way more towards reaching into the brain and poking that visual thinking part of the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's kind of a very roundabout way of answering your question. It also, the thing about the style is that you really can't live outside of your time as an artist, as an artist, mm -hmm. no matter what, you're always part of your time. Even if you're, whether you're in it or reacting against it or trying to transcend it, the time is always a factor. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's part of why I've gravitated towards, I don't want to say like clear cut, but I think there is something where I want people to see it and it goes into their brain clearly. And then the information is what kind of draws you in further as opposed to like a hazy oil painting, let's say, or like a very delicate pencil drawing or something. Those are great, but I'm going for like, boom, clear. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. yeah. Informational overload right there. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Simplistic. You know, that's the thing, you know, you, you, I think so. I, I, this is how I always describe it. It's like 
it's like you know that show Adventure Time. Yeah, yeah. It's like Adventure Time a little bit. You know how it's like you know, how the lines are drawn and eye placement and the you know how the char- general character designs. And then you know how in that show, I don't know if you've seen an episode or whatever. There's just a bunch of crap everywhere. Yeah. Like there's a bunch of little things, um, you know, little Easter eggs in every little, every little frame. So yeah. I mean, that's what I like. That's that's what I like in your work. You know, there's just I'm looking at it now. There's just tiny little things I haven't even noticed before. Just little tiny things everywhere. Word. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because people, people often say that to me. I never really watched that show. I think I saw like one episode way back in the day. Mm-hmm. I think that probably me and whoever like pioneered that show probably have like similar vibe overlap in some ways, but it is mm-hmm. funny for me. Like you can imagine on my end, like there's a very unintuitive connection where if you start looking at like a lot of ancient art and a lot of art from like pre a thousand AD mm-hmm. and a lot of medieval art and you're siphoning all this stuff out of it, you can end up at this point where someone looks at it and they're like, Oh, it's like a cartoon. And you're like, yeah, I've never, I never watched cartoons. Like, I don't know. What you're talking <laughs> about. But there is something that's that, that has to do with that. You know, how the mind sees things that mm-hmm. modern people see and they're like, Oh, it's kind of like a cartoon. And people would DM me they're like, Oh, what cartoons do you like? Like what comics do you like? And I'm like, I've never, I have no, I don't know anything about that. Honestly, it's just a total coincidence. Interesting. No cartoons, no comics, nothing. No, none is influences. Um, honestly, no. I mean, I like anyone my age, I suppose I watched like the Simpsons and King of the Hill. Yeah. I wouldn't really say that influences my art comics wise. No, I read a handful of graphic novels in college, but I wasn't really into it. So yeah, oddly enough, it is like a coincidence that came from the road of going further and further down symbolism and things yeah. like that. Sometimes people send me really ancient, like primitive art that looks like my art. And that's when I'm like, yeah, actually that's, that's the connection. It's not yeah. the coincidental like connection right. with comics and stuff. Yeah. Sure. And you know, one thing I was thinking of is, you know, in, in all the art, in all the art that you draw, especially the comics themselves, it looks like it's, it's, it feels like it's you working out things in your head and putting it out on the work instead of like you trying to make a point. It's almost, it's like coming down from the paper instead of you putting it on the paper to cause some like change, like your comics, especially it's like you're taking parts of your life and you're breaking it down and you're, you're showing it in the, in the, in the frames and whatnot. And I think it's so much of, it's, it's such an engaging way of creating it's yeah. I, I really try to I, I haven't been making personal stuff myself because i've just been doing a lot of boring business stuff but you know i really i really i've been wanting to get back into creating you know films just for me and uh you know just for creative creative satisfaction and you know that's something i've, I've really been thinking about continuously it's like getting from my own experience in the art in a way that's truthful yeah, no, dude, that's something I've spent a long time thinking about. I mean, in general, like with the arc of my, I guess you could call it production, mm-hmm. I got to this point where I was making what I thought was good stuff consistently. People liked it, you know, and then I started asking myself like the very dangerous question of like, you know, why am I doing this? Like, what am I doing? Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like I'm a table maker making tables. Am I, at the, is it like that? I have no idea. And it kind of unraveled from there and sent me down this really long road. But in terms of what you're talking about, there are a few things that stand out to me. It's, it's funny because I never really thought of it this way, but you asking me about my influences, most of my influences would be like ID, idea style or informational, not necessarily visual. 
Like okay. if I was to list my influences, it would be people that influenced my ideas about what art is or what it's supposed to do or things like that. That's very um, interesting. Even just something like there's this, you, I just wanted to mention it cause you kind of touched mm -hmm. on it. Like there's this book, man, I don't even remember what book it is. It's some Indian, I think it's like a Hindu book or something that this like Yogi wrote, but the mm -hmm. book opens, you open the book and it says, you know, I'm this guy, whatever his name is, Shanti, whatever. And you're reading this book I wrote, but just so you know, it would be really arrogant and presumptuous of me to think that I have something that's really valuable for me to tell you that you need to hear from me. So just so you know, when you're reading this, I'm writing this book to lay my own thoughts out so I can get some clarity. And if someone mm -hmm. else happens to benefit from it, that's really great, but I'm not mm -hmm. doing it to like teach you something. And even just reading that like opener for the book, I think that I really have taken a lot from that because there's a kind of paralysis that artists experience sometimes where you're thinking, well, you know, who am I? Like, like you said with the comics, like, am I going to make a comp, one of those comics where it's like, here's this issue. Guess how you should think about it. Just like right. this. I'm the teacher, get your notepad out. You know, it kind of paralyzes you because you're like, well, who am I to tell people, you know, what they right. should think or it locks you in this mode. But yeah, I try and have that active, like, well, here I am thinking through something. It also relates to my conception of painting because uh, I got a little bit of this from an artist named Chuck Close and a few other people, but mm -hmm. the idea of I'm going to form this thing in my mind and then translate it onto the art surface is sort of a misconception in my mind because really the artwork emerges from engaging with the, the medium. It, it, mm. The art happens while you're working. People think you need to yeah. have the idea and then start working. So I really try and capture that um, a lot. I mean, yeah. oftentimes when I'm going along, I don't necessarily know. I know the idea that I'm going for, but I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And I think that that spontaneity, you can't really fake that. Well, um, and then that point you made about, you know, your inspirations are more ideas and philosophies and sort of that type of stuff rather than hard works and people in the same field. I mean, that's, that's mind blowing because, you know, I mean, you'll, you'll, you know, for me, example, like you'll see someone like Stanley Kubrick, Francis Ford Coppola, whatnot, and you'll see the films they made and all that stuff. It's almost in, you feel like, okay, they're the best. So they do it and you take away the art from it. You're like, they're the best. They do these things. So I need to do these things so I can be the best. And it's like, that's not how it works because you're just trying to be a bad copy of Kubrick and a bad copy of Coppola and you're never going to be as good and you're not going to have your own true sort of self show out in your art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think partially for that reason, I have maybe intuitively, but you know, it's for a variety of reasons that touch on like everything we talked about so far and also things we haven't, but I haven't actually taken in that much media in my life. And mm -hmm. I think that that actually prevents me from having this kind of like paralysis that I sometimes see in people. I think that's been a huge factor. Mm -hmm. I've looked at a ton of art, but that experience has formed me more than, um, you know, like I've probably only seen honestly, like 15 to like 20 movies, like in my whole life and like, really? books, and like books, that's part of why I like the sacred text thing is because you can dive into a sacred text and go like infinitely deep in it. But it would be hard for me to name like a bunch of novels I read, except for ones that I read in like college, honestly, like at a certain point I kind of like detethered and started just having like my own experience. And I think that that there's something in there that I think, lets you be creative in a certain way. I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to get at, but I always tell artists to go look at art 
And that sounds really stupid. Like you're like, duh, but people really don't do it. You know what I mean? I used to go to the museum and I would be there when they opened and I would stay there until they closed and things like that. Um, I guess I'm uh, kind of poorly phrasing. There's something about the experience of looking at art that's almost mm -hmm. been the most influential thing to me. Maybe that sounds obvious. Like if you're a filmmaker, you're like, well, yeah, I watched films and that's what influenced me. But that's the thing with me. I don't watch movies that much. Oh, cool. Like I don't, you know, I, I'm not at the 15 to 20 legendary Owen range like you. Like that's, that's legendary, <laughs> you know, probably more in the hundreds. Maybe it's more, maybe it's more, but yeah. I wouldn't say 200 for me. I wouldn't say 200, you that's know, interesting. That's and interesting. one thing I, one thing I like to do is I like to watch a movie or even sometimes before I don't watch it, you know, I'll, I, I like to just pull up the screenplay. Um, especially if I haven't seen it in a while and just kind of read it and just make the mental pictures in my head while like I'm reading it. And then I'd like to watch the movie, see if it like translated properly or whatever, see like how I would have made that movie or how I would have, you know, shown that. Um, I think it's a good exercise to do for any people that are trying to make films, but yeah, I think the, that's interesting. Yeah. The, the processes are, are, are very similar, you know, it, well, it, a lot of, a lot of it's just getting out of your own way. That's, that's what I found. Well, I think that, you know, you mentioned that movie thing. I think that that's also part of why I gravitated towards religious art in the beginning, even when I wasn't sure what my own feelings were about it was because it's, it's something about the power of the items to like mm -hmm. carry a whole worldview. You kind of like triggered me thinking about that when you were saying like, you know, how would I do this? Because mm -hmm. You know, if you go to a museum and you're looking at, you know, what's, what's a worldview that I've never felt like a part of, like Muslim art or something. Yeah. You, I could walk through and see a lot of the geometry and the calligraphy. And you can kind of put on these glasses that are like, you know, I almost I almost literally imagine there's like glasses you can put on for that worldview. And you're like, oh, if I was doing art in this context, like what would I do? What would I, you know, how would I, you know, it's, it, there's something really interesting about that. Like if you go to a museum and see like a bowl from like a Muslim culture and it has like the decorative pattern on the outside and the calligraphy on the inside, there's something about that that carries the entire worldview just in a bowl, you know, or even in like, if you go to some, you know, decorative arts museum and there's like a French spoon, you could, if you really look at it and you look at all the ornamentation, it's like, there's everything about the French culture and worldview and the way the swirls are done and in the way. So there's something about that that I feel like has almost been the most influential thing to me. And I feel like that's why religious art for me is kind of like on top. If you had to like categorize something mm -hmm. because the objects carry so much that it's almost paralyzing and mind numbing to think about. Like if you look at a Buddha sculpture, you don't know that much about Buddhism, but you, you're like, I kind of get it. I mean, I kind of, I kind of get the vibe just from looking at like a sculpture of this mm -hmm. golden sitting dude with the robes. So that's also something that I think about probably every day in the studio. I, I think gold, about that all the time. Yeah. Gold sitting dude with robes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for, uh, you know, looking at, looking ahead, looking at Owen Cyclops and 22, 23, 24. Do you have like a, how do you like structure your, your kind of future? And, and not, not like the details, but like, how do you build the structure in which you're, you want your future to take hold of and whatnot in your mind? Yeah. Um, that's also what I think about all the time. Um, well, there's a few metaphors that I would use. They're all visual because we talked about people thinking mm -hmm. visually, but in terms of running the studio, just like where I'm at, I have transitioned from being that guy in cartoons who's running with a stack of like 50 papers and the papers are flying all over the place. Now the stack is like 10 papers and there's just like one or two papers flying all over the place. So I kind of have a little bit more of a handle on how things are going. 
But more interestingly, you know, in terms of structuring the future and kind of plan of attack, I, I always use musical and military metaphors. I really, I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I think I'm at the point where, you know, it's like with the visual art, I really think of it as like an army. Maybe it's because I used to be into like graffiti and stuff. And I heard this graffiti artist once say, you know, every graffiti piece I do is like a soldier out there, you know, telling people about me, but that was a really cool metaphor. So I kind of do think of it that way. And, uh, I feel like my army, it's like, I have all the ground troops, all the guys with just like armor and guns, like the light arm, like the light, you know, scouts and just dudes, you know, and I got, the, I send them all out and now we're doing pretty good. We're holding down the territory. We're doing pretty good. And, and they're not, you know, the enemy's not advancing. We're not retreating. Like we're good. And now that I have that situation, I'm turning backwards and starting to work on heavier stuff like the tanks and the jeeps mm-hmm. and maybe even bigger like you know what the planes or something so that, that's kind of where i'm at mentally Starcraft i have this flow, mindset yeah a little bit yeah so i have this flow going on where i'm generating pictures honestly i think they're pretty dope because i'm making them and you know i can put them on stuff and and they really do i'm not like faking it that's the other nice thing is like i never come in the studio and i'm like uh, what would be popular? Like what would sell? Like I really, my head's just full of stuff and I'm struggling to get it out in a really genuine way. So that's nice. So I have this flow where the pictures materialize that frankly, I think they're interesting and hooked into like larger ideas that people find interesting. And on top of that, now I'm stacking larger projects. So for example, uh, I have this like calendar that's going to be insane. Not like a flip calendar, but like, mm-hmm. it's like a huge, uh, it's really big. It's it's absurdly large, actually. It might even need to be multiple prints, but it's like a whole Christian year, basically. And it's it's like it's pretty absurd, honestly. It's pretty awesome. That's uh, books, books also something that I'm working on. So I'm compiling like the first like two, two and a half years of comics and things like that. So that really is where my mind is at. That metaphor with the army stuff is exactly how it feels in the studio. I come in and I check in with the the foot soldiers and I'm like, oh, what do you guys need? I'm sending water out, I'm sending, but then you know. Some days I usually take a whole day and I'm like, okay, let's work on the tanks. Like let's work on the larger stuff going on. Um, And that's basically where I'm at. I'm really lucky because I'm always putting something interesting in my brain. Honestly, even if I wasn't on the internet, I would be doing that. And uh, it feeds into my work in a nice way. I've never had a day where I come in and I'm thinking, wow, I have no ideas. Like, what am I going to do? It's always the total opposite. Awesome. Awesome. Well, everyone, this is Owen Cyclops. It's been amazing to have you on. I'm glad we finally got to have a long form talk, and uh, yeah, we will we'll definitely have you back when uh, you know when when stuff comes out and you just want to keep talking more about anything, philosophy, religion, living in the rural areas, all that stuff, all that good yeah. stuff. Yeah, man, super fun. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'll definitely uh, come back. We can uh, continue the convo. Let's do it. Let's do it. And for everyone listening, all right, if you if you enjoyed this whatnot, really appreciate it. Go to arthouse.io. And if you want to donate even just a buck a month, you know, helps out, helps out running the show, helps out getting new people on, new guests, new equipment, changing up this awful background, all that good stuff. So oh, yeah, let me just plug out. really quick. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Some people might not know if you listen this far and you don't know, that's interesting. So hi, but my at on Twitter is Owen broadcast and it's the same thing on Instagram. So that's the best way to find me. There we go. And everything will be in the description of the YouTube and the wherever else is going to go up. So cool, man. Awesome. Sounds good. We will, uh, we'll be seeing you again soon, Owen. Cool. Yeah. See you, man. Peace out.